morning, family. Our scripture reading today is from the book of 1 Kings. We'll be reading chapter 4, verses 20 through 25 and 34. Then we'll go into chapter 8, verses 22 through 30, and then to finish it up, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen, and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. For he had dominion over all the region, west of the Euphrates, from Tifshah to Gaza, all over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, Keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, Forgive. Now when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great routine, a retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all of her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. 
because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everyone. I am glad we all made it through the typhoon. Um, I feel like just a week of my life was, I don't know, deleted because of that. Um, did anyone get mold in their car because of the typhoon? Uh, yeah. yeah, we, we did. That, that was a first for me. So needless to say, I, I really was not very excited about that. Um, but I am excited to be here this morning with you guys. I'm excited to be in our series that we're kicking off this morning through the Book of Kings. Uh, the Book of Kings, what we know as First and Second Kings, it's really just one book in the Hebrew Bible. It's it's one book. Uh, the the break is artificial. Um, if you've read through First and Second Kings, you'd know that it's long. Uh, it's daunting. Uh, at times, it's exciting. At times, it's disappointing. Uh, it's often difficult to understand. But the primary message is rather simple. Um, the, the main overarching message of First and Second Kings is that whatever God says comes to pass. God accomplishes the word that he speaks. He makes good on every single word. Uh, we have this up on a slide, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. You can really think of this as like the key verse for the entire book. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by his servant Moses. Not one word has failed. Right, God's word of blessing is not something that's hypothetical. It's not something that might happen. No, God's word is sure. And just like God's word of blessing is sure, God's word of judgment is also sure. So this book is both a comfort and a warning. It is a warning for those who reject the one God. And it is a comfort for those who repent and turn towards Jesus Christ. Now, with that, we'll go ahead and, and get into um, our sermon this morning. But before we do that, I just want to open us in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. Um, Father, we're thankful uh, to be called your people, we're thankful to dwell in your presence. God, we're thankful to have the king that you've provided us. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Thank you uh, for the way he has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, God. Lord, I pray that you would renew our confidence in your son, in our king. And God, I pray that we would submit to your rule. Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Kings opens up 
with the succession of David's rule by his son Solomon. That's the first couple chapters. And if you think back to what God promised David back in 2 Samuel, God's word to David, his promise to David, was that one of David's descendants would reign forever. That this descendant would uh, be treated as God's own son. God says, I will be a father to him. And his promise was that this same descendant would build a house for my name. This descendant would build the temple. And this is what we see going on at the beginning of the book of Kings, throughout the, the first part of Solomon's narrative. We see that God um, treats Solomon like a son. Or when Solomon's born, actually, back in 2 Samuel, God says, uh, interestingly, the, the author adds the detail that God says he loved Solomon. So God is treating Solomon as his beloved son, and like a good dad, of course, God gives his son a gift. Uh, God is the infinitely rich, infinitely bountiful king, so he tells Solomon, ask for whatever you want, and you shall have it. And Solomon asks for wisdom for the sake of shepherding God's people. God is pleased with this request. It, it reflects God's own heart to care for his people. And in the, the text that we just read, in our time this morning, we're going to see the fruit of God's word to David. We're going to see the fruit of his promise to appoint a wise king over his people. You see, the kingdom of Solomon is a foretaste. It is a foreshadow of the kingdom to come. Solomon's kingdom is just a shadow Christ's kingdom is the substance. Christ's kingdom is the reality that casts its shadow back onto redemptive history. Solomon, the son of David, blessed with wisdom, foreshadows a greater, wiser son of David. David himself, or, uh, Jesus himself compares himself with Solomon. In Matthew chapter 12, you guys can turn with me there. Matthew 12, verse 42. Jesus says, the queen of the south, that is the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is the greater Solomon. Jesus is truly the wise and excellent king that God has set over his people. Now some of you may be uh, familiar with this kind of information already, but people are leaving uh, the church in America at an astounding rate. 
So in the last 25 years, 40 million adults have left the church. That's 15% of American adults. That's a huge piece of the population. And for about half those people, half those people are coming from Bible-believing evangelical churches. And when you look at the study data, like the, the overwhelming number one reason why people are leaving the church is just because it's no longer convenient for their lives. Uh, it no longer fits into their schedule. They have a different friend group. They've moved. They've changed jobs. Something has happened to where the church, being a part of the church, is, is no longer convenient for them. For all these people, they uh, view fellowship with God's people. They view the church as something that's supposed to, to serve them, right? It's supposed to make them feel good. It's supposed to be therapeutic. Now, there are a lot of problems with this, but one thing all these people have failed to understand is what makes the church special? What is it that sets us apart as God's people? The one thing that makes us special is the excellence of our king. People have failed to understand the blessing, the pure joy and blessing that we have in the rule of our king, Jesus Christ. In Solomon's rule, we see a picture of this truth, that God fulfills his, pro his purpose to bless through the wise king he has appointed. And this is our main idea this morning, the truth that God fulfills his purpose to bless, to bless his people through the wise king he has appointed. Remember, Christ's kingdom is the substance. Solomon's kingdom is the shadow. Solomon's kingdom is just a shadow of the greatness of Christ's kingdom. Yet, his kingdom highlights three ways in which God blesses his people. God blesses his people. He has purpose to bless his people with an inheritance, with his presence, and he has promised to bless them by making them a light to the nations. So looking closely, more closely at point number one here, the promise, the blessing of inheritance. In 1 Kings chapter 4, uh, in verses 20 through 21, here the author says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now, for every good Hebrew boy and girl, when they would read this, when they read this, they would be immediately reminded of the promise that God made to Abraham. Right? God promised to bless Abraham and to make his descendants as numerous as the sand by the seashore. Right, the exact same language is being used. Right, he also promised that his, 
God also promised Abraham that his descendants would become a nation and inherit the territory that was just described right here. So God's purpose to bless, to bless Abraham, to bless God's people has been in a sense fulfilled in the rule of Solomon. Verse 25 essentially reiterates this point. Verse 25 says, And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. At the point here in verse 25, again, is that everyone has received the blessing of God's promised inheritance. Every man, every household, every family, every person living in God's kingdom receives the inheritance. Every person receives their plot of land in God's kingdom, right? Their name belongs in the book of heaven, in the book of God's kingdom. Every man receives the inheritance. Every woman, every child receives the promised inheritance that God gave. You see, there is, there's no such thing as a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. There's no lack in the kingdom of God. God had purposed to provide this blessing for his people. Therefore, it has come to pass. Now, why is this significant for us? Well, because number one, this came about in God's timing and simply because God decided to bring this about. God was free to make his decision to bless his people and praise God he is faithful to the decision he has made and the word he has given. You see, it's not because of any excellence we might have. It's not because of our productivity. It's not because of our behavior. But blessing, our blessing comes about simply because it originated in the eternal purpose of God. Now, the second reason this is significant for us, it's because it teaches us that God is not secretly hiding something from us. He's not trying to keep something back from us. He's not trying to confine us or contain us. He's not trying to keep good things away from us. No, he wants us to enjoy good things in his timing and in the right way, in the best way possible. You know, my, my daughters, uh, for both of them, their, their first word was mom. And I'd like to think that their second word was dad. But looking back, I think maybe their second word was snack. <laughs> These girls love snacks. You know, I'll be in my office, with the door closed, they'll be distracted with something else in our apartment. And I'll open up a bag of chips, and they will hear that crinkly goodness and come running in to have some of my snack. So what I do sometimes is I'll open the fridge door and 
I'll take out a snack, but I'll leave the fridge door open. Even if it starts beeping, I'll just finish the snack right there. You see, I'm, just, I'm trying to hide something from them because I want it. I don't want to share, right? God is not like that. God is infinitely rich, and he wants to share the infinite riches that he has with his children. God is not trying to keep something back from you when he commands you to walk in obedience to him, to live a certain way. All right, so we know that God has taught us, he's commanded us that sex is reserved for marriage. It's reserved for the covenant of marriage. Right? We, when we hear that, we might be tempted to think that God is trying to keep something good away from me. He doesn't want to give something good to me, but actually, God wants to give something better to you. He wants you to enjoy relationship and sex in the best, most wonderful, fruitful way possible. We just have to trust in his timing. We have to trust in his wisdom. This narrative teaches us that Israel was experiencing blessing. It teaches us that they were receiving their good inheritance because God is faithful to his word. And because God fulfills his purpose to bless through the wise king he has appointed. Now the second way that God blesses his people is through his presence. So second point here. Um, God blesses his people through his presence, which is in the Old Testament located at his temple. So the temple's a big deal in the book of Kings. It's a big deal in the Old Testament. There's a lot of chapters devoted to it. So it's a big deal. The reason it's such a big deal is because the temple is where God promised to dwell with his people in a special, personal way. Just like we read, even though heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain the glory of God, he has graciously, lovingly condescended to dwell with his people in this place. He even says of the temple in verse 29, in chapter 8, verse 29, he says, my name shall be there. Yeah, so we can see that right there. He says of the temple, my name shall be there. And when we get to the New Testament, we can see that this is really important for us because the temple is one of the main metaphors that the New Testament uses to describe the church. And it's interesting the way that this language is picked up in the book of Revelation. Revelation says, Revelation 22 verse 4 says, they will see his face and his name will be on their forehead. So like, just like God placed his name on the temple, God places his name on our foreheads. You see, the, the point 
isn't that once we get to heaven, once God's kingdom arrives, it's not like we're, we're getting tattoos on our foreheads at that point. This is not a gang in heaven. The point is that God's people, God's church, is the place where God has promised to dwell in a special, personal way with his people in such a way that we will see his face. Okay, that could be the greatest statement in the Bible, that we will see his face. This blessing, this blessing of God's presence both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, comes in fulfillment to something that God had promised. Remember, God promised David that one of his descendants would build a house for my name. God promised that David's descendant would build the temple. And that's exactly what happens in 1 Kings chapter 8. The point is, that Israel experienced the blessing, Israel experienced the joy of God's presence because of God's faithfulness to his word and because of the work that someone else had accomplished. Israel was blessed, Israel was exalted because of the favor that David found in God's sight. And because God had set up Solomon as their wise king to finish, to accomplish this temple building project. The blessing that God's people experience depends on the work of someone else. Ultimately, the completed work of Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter four. Deuteronomy 4, we'll read verses 6 and 7. Here it is written, Keep them and do them. That is the law. So keep and do the law, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? The reign of Solomon, the height of Solomon's kingdom, is a shadowy fulfillment of what we see here in Deuteronomy chapter four. Israel became this great, mighty, prosperous nation because their king fostered an environment where obedience was valued. Israel became this mighty nation because their God was so near to them. The temple is clear evidence of that, that their God is near to them. 
So thinking back to the question, what makes the people of God special? What makes us special is that we have a God so near to us. Because of the excellence of our king, our God is near, nearer than we could ever hope for. Like I said, people in the evangelical movement and the evangelical church have failed to see what makes the church different than other options, than other social options. What makes the church different, according to Deuteronomy chapter 4, is one, our conduct. That our conduct reflects the purity and the goodness of God's law. And number two, God's presence among us. The evangelical church has been distracted. We've been distracted with being attractional, right? Worship services have started to look more like Coldplay concerts followed by TED Talks. We've been distracted with being entertaining, relevant, cultural, countercultural. But the thing that makes us special, the thing that makes us different, our wisdom before the nations, our wisdom before outsiders is the way that we live our lives and the fact that we are a people that have our God so near to us. Being a light to the nations, being a light to outsiders, means living according to God's rule and loving the presence that he has blessed his people with. And this brings us to our last point. God fulfills his promise to bless his people by making them a light to the nations. In Solomon's reign, we see a foreshadowing of God's promise to bless the nations, right? Just like we saw um, in chapter four, at the beginning of our reading this morning, we saw that all the nations heard about the fame of Solomon's kingdom. They heard about the greatness of Solomon's kingdom. It was a reason to pack up your bags and go make a visit. Now, thinking for a moment about our context, um, here on Okinawa, I, I looked up on TripAdvisor like the top three places to visit on Okinawa, the, the top three reasons that people visit Okinawa. Now, would anyone like to take a crack at those top three reasons? But before you go, this is the whole Ryukyu Island chain, not, not just our island of Okinawa. So I think together we could probably figure it out. Yes, sir. Sushi. Sushi. That, you know, that really should be on the list, but unfortunately it wasn't. The Shisas? You know, that's another one that should be on the list, but it's not. Yes? The food here? Yep, another great reason, but I think these people are missing out. Karamas? Oh, very close, very close. 
That's one, that's the number one. Aquarium is number one. Okay, what do you think is number two? Good job, yep, Shuri Castle's number two. And then number three is off this island. No. <laughs> it's, it's, specifically, specifically uh, at Miyakojima. Uh, Miyako Island, yeah. So, very close. We almost did it. Um, these are all great reasons to visit Okinawa. Now, when, just like we read, when the Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's kingdom, she decided that she needed to pack up her things and go make a visit herself. And, of course, this is exactly what we saw was foretold in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, right? When the nations hear of your wisdom, right? This will be your wisdom before the nations. You see, Solomon's kingdom was a picture of how living according to God's word, living according to his ways, resulted in the spreading of God's fame across the world. Now, of course, Solomon had a lot of flaws, and we're going to get into that next week, Solomon's downfall. But remember, Solomon did write most of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is all about applying the wisdom of God's law to everyday life. So he helped foster an environment where people walked in obedience to God. And so his kingdom became a great signal to the nations. So the queen of Sheba heard about the greatness of this kingdom, but when she gets there and sees it for herself, what exactly did she see? The main thing that she saw was people full of joy. If you look at chapter 10, verses 8, through nine, happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Pillar Church, this is a picture. This is a shadow of what the servants of Christ are supposed to look like. Happy. Happy to be in God's kingdom. Happy to live under God's rule. Happy to be in his presence. Happy to sit at the feet of our king and listen to his wisdom. The world should be saying, happy are the servants of Jesus. You know, we, we all know that we live in a world that is very unhappy. It's never good enough, right? People are constantly discontent, disgruntled, unhappy. 
one of the greatest evangelistic messages that we can send to the world is that we are happy to have our God so near to us. The world says all sorts of things about happiness. The world says this, that, and the other will make you happy. Right, money will make you happy. Popularity will make you happy. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll will make, make you happy. The church's message is different. The church says, God will make you happy. God fulfills his purpose to bless his people through the wise king he has appointed. God's kindness is so clear, it is so evident in the excellent king he has provided us. It is so evident in Jesus, our glorious king, who humbled himself, becoming a servant to save poor sinners. But the only way we can experience the joy of God's kingdom is by submitting to the king. There is no eternal kingdom, there's no inheritance, there's no blessing, there's no eternal happiness without submitting to the king of kings. We opened up this morning uh, looking at Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. Let's, let's turn back there. Again, Jesus says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is rebuking the Jewish authorities because they have more access to the truth they have more access to true wisdom than the queen of Sheba had. Right there, there, right next to Jesus, living in the kingdom of Israel, a part of his people. The queen of Sheba had to travel, right? And she was only able to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And she was not one of the people of Israel. She did not have the privilege of living in that kingdom. So when Jesus arrived, Israel faced something greater than Solomon. We likewise face something greater than Solomon. The Queen of Sheba testifies to the fact that God's kingdom is full of blessing and joy. But her testimony also warns us. Her testimony warns us that if we don't bow down before the Son of God, then we will in fact see her on judgment day pointing her finger in condemnation. 
the joy of God's kingdom, the blessing, the pure blessing of God's kingdom is found in submission. Submission to our excellent King, Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. God, we're thankful that you have purposed to make us happy, God. You have provided true happiness, true goodness, true beauty for us to experience. And Lord, you offer it to us in the loving, caring rule of your son. God, I pray that we would daily bow before your son so that we may receive the joy and the assurance of your kingdom. God, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.